Welcome to Let's Talk Land, a weekly education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, and ownership, especially for real estate agents and realtors. Hey guys, learn from the experts. This is free land education. My name's Lou Jewell. I'm an accredited land consultant along with my co-host this morning, Teresa Martin. Good morning, Teresa. Hey, Lou. How are you? I'm good. I hope you are. I am. I'm excited about our guest today. Our new company is Land Pro Real Estate. We're at 207 East Main Street, Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, across from the Squeeze Box, where I had breakfast for the last 30 years. We serve Western Piedmont, North Carolina, and Southern Virginia, so give us a shout. We'll help you out. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and members. Our national website's www.rlieland.com. That's rlieland.com. Now listen to me. If you're interested in buying land or selling land, please go to that website. We're a national uh, organization, part of the National Association of Realtors. We are the land folks uh, of the 1.5 billion realtors out million out there. Sorry, uh, we have about 1,700 members nationwide, and our designation is accredited land consultant. And I believe there's like 585 of us now in the country. So. Uh, we can save you money, and we can also make you money. So make sure you go to that website, and we'll help you out. We'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. Buying or selling land, LandHub is the place to be. Our guest this morning is Don Kevorkian. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. How are you, Lou? I'm doing great. You're an accredited land consultant, one of those 585 and you're the Senior Vice President of the Ag Division of Pearson Realty. Where are you calling from? Calling from Fresno, California. Wow. How's the weather out there? Beautiful. Always is, isn't it, pretty much? It is. So you have quite a background. Uh, you've been since 84, uh, the uh, Senior Vice President of Pearson Realty we'll talk about, let you tell us about them. You guys specialize in farm and land and, of course, the ag business properties. And then you were manager of the same firm in the farmland department. And then you were with Newson and Son, specializing in ag and residential properties. And then, of course, you had the Kevorkian Family Farms. I want to learn about that. Background experience in farming peaches, plums, nectarines, uh, apricots, persimmons, table grapes, olives, and citrus. That's quite a variety. You graduated in 81 from California Polytech State University in St. Luke Obispo. And you got a bachelor's in science in agricultural management. And prior to that, in 79, you were at Reedley College, as assistant degree, uh, arts degree. You're you a member of the American Society of Farm Management and Rural Appraisers, and we had the national president on last year and was happy to uh, uh, promote them. And, of course, you're obviously a member of the Realtors Land Institute, a granted land consultant. And you're also a member of the National Association of Realtors Noble Transactions of Fresno. So uh, there was one thing that, that Teresa and I noticed is uh, on your web or somewhere in the comments is that your company uh, has more accredited land consultants in your firm than any firm in the United States. That's interesting. Yes. So uh, this this goes way back, Lou. Uh, there was the the majority of our ag division uh, were were all. Um, accredited land consultants, and, and we had probably um, six of them, six out of the ten that were accredited land consultants. Um, unfortunately, they've all passed on now, Lou. Okay. Uh, we're a 100-year-old company, and and uh, so that's a, a part of uh, longevity. Boy, it sure is, because I believe the Realtors Land Institute, member of the National Association of Realtors, I think we're around 78 years old now, so uh, that would capture um, uh, some of those folks you were talking about. Correct. So tell us a little bit about your company. Yeah, so Lou, we're a 100-year-old company. Um, uh, just in 2019, now we're, we're uh, moving into the, the second 100 years, and we are an employee-owned company. Uh, which I think helps explain um, how our company is, has uh, 
been able to sustain itself and, and thrive. Um, we have two divisions. We have an ag division and we have a commercial industrial division. So there's about 50 um, total uh, brokers and agents on both uh, sides of the aisle. In our uh, commercial division, we have um, industrial, office, retail, investment, multifamily, and it's, um, it's, it's broken down into specialties, Lou, and it's very um, helpful to have um, an ag division selling properties for families that are interested in um, reinvesting into commercial properties. So we, ha we have a good synergy and we work together well and um, it's, it's been an extremely uh, uh, profitable uh, company over the years. I was just looking at showing that uh, you had last year, 2021, over 500 million just in ag sales with a billion dollars total, including the commercial sales and leasing. Does that correct. Does that include your pack? Uh, does that include? It was, a, it was a big year, and I think a part of that um, was the fact that a lot of the um, the ag people and and commercial people were concerned that they were going to change the tax laws. So uh, there was a big rush to to get transactions completed before the end of the year. What percentage of your business is uh, actually retail? So um, if, if we broke it down, it would, it's going to change year to year, but sure. um, probably about 30% um, of our business is retail, shopping centers, uh, sales, and leasing. Okay. I got you. So, uh, but you're not in the, the uh, ag packaging business, right? No, we're not. Okay. And you're not a grower, you're just strictly real estate, is that correct? It's it's all brokerage, Lou. I got gotcha. you. sales and leasing. Sure. Um, on the ag side, it's it's just sales, but um, on the commercial side, it's sales and leasing. Right. No property management? No. We used to have a property management division, but uh, we we closed that down and, and decided that we would just focus on what we do best, and that's... Um, listing and selling uh, commercial properties. And where do you have offices? So we have three offices. We have one in Fresno, we have one in Visalia, and we have one in Bakersfield. So what we try to do is staff our offices with um, people in the local uh, small towns and communities uh, to create a network of, um, of activity um, because we want to make sure that um, when we hire someone, they're, they're filling a void in a certain area that knows the people, knows the land, and they're able to um, work together, you know, as a, as a team. Let me mention your website for those that aren't driving, because uh, uh, these shows are on Spotify, Podbeam, of course, the master website, but you can go to it. But I always like you to follow and go on the website, which is real easy. It's www.pearson, P-E-A-R-S-O-N, Realty, pearsonrealty.com. So if that's convenient for you, it's uh, uh, go there as, as we talk to uh, our guest today, and you might glean some stuff that uh, might help you out. So just on your website, I was picking up that you're locally owned, as you talked about. You create long-term balance approaching real estate services that focus on relationships. Many of our agents have more than 30 years' experience to apply to your transaction. That's incredible. Uh, I'm coming up on my 28 years, so I relate to that. And to pass on our, uh, our, to your newer agents, and that, that's what we all do. We mentor, don't we? We help each other. Yes, we do. This provides a successful company and, and by to any uh, thriving business. And I like your mission statement, too, if I may. It says the mission of Pearson Companies is to provide 
profit for our clients, stockholders, and agents by meeting and exceeding clients' needs through the integrity and professionalism, which a focus on customer service is our primary product. Uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty good statement. Maybe Things work we, well for us, Lou. Yeah. So uh, um, you're, is there, are you the only accredited land consultant in your company right now? No, there's one other gentleman on the uh, commercial side. He works in our land division, um, and, and I'm referring to um, residential development land and, and uh, commercial development land. So he's, he is an, an ALC uh, his name is Jeff Wolpert. Oh, okay. I know who that is. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't know him personally, but I know of him. Yeah, great guy. So, yes. just in your opinion, how does being in, uh, involved in Realtors Land Institute and definitely having the designation, which is uh, not easy to get, uh, how does that help you and your business? Well, I think it it uh, provides a, just another level of um, credibility. Um, when, when people see that you have credentials and the uh, accredited land consultant designation, it, it uh, sets you apart from, from others. Um, it, it gives you um, uh, a little bit more uh, authority um, in, you know, what you know and, you know, how you conduct yourself. Sure. And we're we're just one big family, aren't we? It's, uh, yes, it's, indeed we are. It's amazing. We we have our annual land conference. We just had one uh, first of March in uh, uh, San Antonio, Texas, and of our seventeen hundred members, we had over four hundred attend that three three and a half day conference. And uh, it's just uh, it, it's it's. I tell people once you go to one, uh, you'll never miss another one. And by the way, Teresa's going to start working on her ALC here. Uh, hopefully this year, and we'll get her. Uh, she will be an official landlady here pretty soon, right, Teresa? Yes. There's <laughs> one thing I've noticed that everyone, every time that we interview someone from RLI that's an ALC, and you always say we're one big family, everybody always emphatically says, yes, we are. Well, we are. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a different breed of realtors. Uh, you know, we, uh, we all have a similar common ground and, and similar goals, and, uh, but we help each other. Uh, you know, the, the residential side, in my thoughts and opinion only, is uh, it's a little bit more competitive, and people don't like to share what they know and things that they do. But you can call any ALC, definitely any RLI member anywhere in the country, because I do it, and I've done it for years. And, you know, I've got a situation, what's your experience or what's your new marketing techniques? Uh, right then, it's, it's just uh, it's, it's that kind of organization in it. It seems daunting to me when I think about how much that you've got to sell to be able to do that. It, no, but see, what you don't understand is the more education you get, the classes that you take, like the forestry class, the ag class, the subdivision class, you know, the different, we have 10 courses. I teach the Land 101 and have since it came out in 2003. But as you take a class, for example, in 19, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, 97, I took my first class. I got my license in 94. And it was a subdivision class with Ned Massey, who was our president at one point. And after taking that class, I had the confidence. And, you know, I've developed over 60 rural subdivisions. And, of course, as I did the timber class and the different ones, it, uh, it just gives you more uh, confidence in what you're doing. And, and confidence is a key to be successful in business. Right, Dan? I agree. Yeah, it, it sure is. And, and it, it's so much fun to to be connected to, um, you know, other like-minded uh, brokers that, that just want to be better at what they do. And your buyers and your sellers, definitely your buyers, it's a different breed as well. A person that's uh, investing, and I like to use the word investment, <clears throat> that's investing in land, uh, uh, this is found, this is uh, investment money. They, they have a home, they have a mortgage, or the mortgage is paid. But usually you'll find they're more sophisticated, more educated, and uh, they have a goal of whether they want recreational land or crop land or timber land. Uh, they have a goal in mind. And uh, it's just, uh, like I said, it's just a different different breed. Okay, our guest today is Dan Kevorkian, 
with Pearson Realty. This is Let's Talk Land. We'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. View thousands of properties on LandHub.com. Dan, since you have been so involved in real estate in in that area and that you have the ag division, I'm sure you can talk to us some about the what's going on in the ag industry right now. Yes, Teresa. Um, the, uh, the the farming uh, ag industry is um, there's there's lots of challenges and lots of opportunities as well. Um, Probably one of the, the biggest challenges we have in California today is our water. And um, what we're seeing is um, a, um, um, farmers, um, environmentalists, and developers that are trying to um, um, do what they do best, and that is um, grow crops or protect the fish or um, build houses. And so we only have so much water here in California with the drought. So that's, that's been a, a big challenge for us is um, the, uh, the water situation. Um, the, the land that has water um, is obviously more valuable, and what we're seeing is um, a seller's market in um, the uh, in the farms that have what they call two water sources, which is pumps and wells that um, draw from the underground aquifer and surface water from. Um, an irrigation district that uh, will come from a reservoir uh, that's filled by uh, snow melt and rainfall. And so we have prices going up on um, good land with water, and then you have just the opposite um, happening on the land that has water challenges. So um, there's a delta that seems to be growing um, as we go forward here, and so we're we're seeing um, uh, some winners and and also maybe some losers um, uh, as it relates to the water challenges. So, if if I would, would you say that there are more or less farmers who can provide that? to system water irrigation? Um, so, Teresa, you're asking me if there's more or less? In the farmland that is for sale, have you got, so if, if it's a seller's market, that's telling me you probably have less farms that provide, that, that have the, the luck of having the two different systems. Yeah, so um, there is, um, there's both in the market, Teresa. We're, we're seeing um, um, both situations. It's just that the pricing is, is so much higher for land with water than it is without. Um, what, would be an, what would be an example? Say take a 100-acre track. Just for uh, so if you took 100 acres of, say, almonds, and one has surface water and the other one doesn't, you might, you might be at um, 35,000 an acre for, um, you know, good, good almond orchard uh, with good water, and you might be at 15,000 an acre for an almond orchard that has some water challenges to it. So you can see there's... So what's going on right now with the oil prices up, uh, with supply and demand, with delivery, all these, um, all these rabbit holes, um, uh, the wars, uh, uh, and, and, the, and the 
what, what's going to happen here in the in the future? I mean, <clears throat> what, what yeah, can we so tell our farmers to prepare the for? The input costs are going up, um, and that's that's one of the the concerns of of the ag industry is you know they're putting more money into their crops. Are they going to get a higher price for their for their crops? So um, it's um, it's what a lot of businesses are facing, Lou, as you know. Yeah. That's um, where I was going with the uh, – that's why I was asking the question I was asking because I was wondering how it was going to affect the prices in the future of fruits, vegetables, crops. Avocados. Almonds. <laughs> I love almonds. I know, and they're too. already high. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's um, – it, it, affects, it affects everyone um, in the ag industry. Let me ask Either you're growing it or you're uh, packing and processing or you're a supplier. Um, your input costs seem to be going up across the board. Yeah. Let me ask you something because I brought this up at the conference and, uh, and spoke with several sources um, about sell leaseback. Uh, and my just thought and the reason I brought it up at the conference was uh, I'm 72, for example, uh, and I think probably I haven't seen in a while, but our average farmer in the United States, last I saw was like 68, I think. And our land prices, at least in our market, and I mean, uh, uh, Ray Brownfield uh, up in Illinois, who's our president, actually I ran against him <laughs> and he won, which I was happy that he did. Great super guy. But uh, Facebook this morning, he was putting another one up there where uh, They'd sold a 350-acre track, I believe, uh, class one soils, blah blah blah, and it brought uh, it brought $12,500 an acre. And I remember four or five years ago uh, talking to talking to him about the same property. You know, it was maybe that type of property. It was lucky the high end was maybe $3,500. Uh, yes. And you know, we've been seeing that here in our market. Teresa and I. You know, a hundred acre, you know, good land, not necessarily crop land. It could be timber land, but I've been we've been selling that for last couple of years up until the last two or two and a half, for you know, thirty five hundred, four thousand, five if it was really maybe river frontage or you know, big views, mountain views or something. Uh, I'm afraid to put a price on stuff when we go list, aren't you, Teresa? Uh, yes. I'm afraid I'm gonna leave money on the table. I know, I know, it's it's tough. And now it's seven, eight, nine, ten thousand an acre. That's why it's important. For and there's no Im- there's no inventory. Yeah, there isn't. And and like you said, prices. I mean, you talked about fifteen thousand dollars for an almond per acre for a bad almond farm. Well, there's places over here where we're getting fifteen thousand an acre for no almonds. <laughs> Not even peanuts. <laughs> Not even peanuts. Just a mountain view. So at least you can reap the benefits of the almonds on fifteen thousand an acre. I mean, I didn't think that was too bad. But back, but back to the sales leaseback um, conversation. We're still continuing. You're, you're welcome to join our little group. <clears throat> is um, like I said, it's um, uh, my feeling is if if you are in that position, um, you maybe have heirs that don't want to farm, uh, or you may not have heirs, or you know you don't know what you're going to do at your demise with the property, uh, as and you still have debt with equipment or maybe mortgages. Is this is the time to go ahead and liquidate your, li- liquidate your property, okay? But uh, but uh, what are you going to do with the money? So we've got uh, my 1031 buddies. Uh, they're saying, well, we can help on the back end. Have you ever seen sell leaseback uh, in in your experience out there? Lou, yeah, we're, there's there are sale leasebacks that um, that that go on. Um, some of them are um, long-term um, leases and some short-term, um, though um, there are um, the, the difficulty in, in the sale lease back on, on some of the the better land is the prices are so high that the, the lease rates are um, what you're committing to is is a, 
a pretty pretty hefty um, lease payment every year. Sure. So, you know, a lot of a lot of the, the the farmers that are selling out are looking basically to get out or to exchange into something that's that's more passive in um, in nature. Right. So, you know, maybe they'll exchange in they'll take the money and exchange into a triple net uh, commercial property that they can just collect a check on, um, and so there are some Lou that are sale lease back, um, uh, but a lot of them that that um, at least I handle, um, they'll either exchange their money out of it or um, um, go shopping. They'll take the cash and. <laughs> Go shopping. What they want to do. Yeah. Do you feel like this will affect the market? I don't know how it is out there, but I know here we've got a lot of people getting into the hobby farms and trying to become more self-sufficient. Is that happening out there? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of uh, family and hobby farms. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big part of the ag industry, um, though what we're seeing is a trend towards commercial farming operations um, and large corporate um, institutional players that are wanting to deploy capital into agriculture. And so there's, in numbers, there's a lot, but um, it seems that the trend is that California is is turning more into a um, large investment um, arena or large farming um, operation. The, the, the Bill Gates of the world? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a lot of um, institutional players, Lou, that, um, you know, retirement accounts and, um, and family office investment funds, private equity that right. see agriculture and land is a, a good investment uh, and if you look at the last you know 50 years it, it's been a great investment um, so that's that's probably um, where it's going to continue to go you know one thing that I've noticed here recently on the um, uh, I've watched a lot of YouTube but on the financial shows uh, and even at, even at our land conference, uh, 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 Mark Deezer, you know, in his presentation started off with where you put the money when you sell your property, where you put the money. Right. And uh, and that he, that was the theme of his whole uh, presentation. But uh, uh, you know, obviously, it's uh, everybody's advocating the uh, the um, hard assets, the metals, either uh, coins or bullion or stocks, uh, different types. Uh, but I have seen uh, recently, in the last couple months, uh, where they're actually using the four-letter word land. And I've been monitoring this for almost 30 years. That's very rare. But I'm now hearing it more and more. I have too, Lou. So some, something's going on out there, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think when the stock market starts to dip, I think people start looking for other opportunities, and and land is is certainly a good one. Well, our family has uh, uh, right around 900 acres that my great grandfather and grandfather bought 18 farms between 1909 and 1929, non-contiguous but all in the same area, uh, with the dairy farm and the tobacco and the corn and the soy and the chickens and. Uh, and uh, we're six generations as of last year, uh, wow. passing this down, uh, and not one inch has ever been sold outside the family. And if you take mothers, uh, siblings, there were ten of them. Mother was born in 1911, uh, and who they married, we've got almost 2,000 acres, and it's all in the same same situation. Uh, so, it's uh, it's uh, proven fact that. Uh, Land can feed you, house you, educate you, and 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 give you a decent quality of life. Uh, but uh, it's uh, something that uh, I I appreciate, and I guess that's where I get my roots in uh, being a landman. <laughs> All yeah. that experience. Me but, too, Lou. 
But our guest today is um, <laughs> is Dan Kevorkian, and he's with Pearson Realty, www.pearsonrealty.com. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. View thousands of properties for sale at LandHub.com. Then I was just uh, pulled up some stuff. Uh, this came from the USDA, and these are facts on the valley. And we'd mentioned that there's more than 250 different crops that are grown in Central Valley with an estimated value of $17 billion per year. And I'm, I didn't have a year when this information was collected. But approximately 75% of the irrigated land in California and about 17% of nation's irrigated land is in the Central Valley. Uh, using fewer than 1% of U.S. farmland, Central Valley supplies 8% of U.S. agricultural output by value and produces one quarter of the nation's food. Wow, that's a lot, including 40% of, of course, the fruits, nuts, and other table foods. Uh, the predominant crops types are cereal grains, hay, cotton, tomatoes, vegetables, citrus, tree fruits, nuts, table grapes, and wine grapes. And of course, 20% of the nation's groundwater demand is supplied from pumping from Central Valley aquifers, making it the second most pumped aquifer system in the U.S. So California is the place you want to be if you want to be a farmer. It sounds like <laughs> it. Teresa, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, if you look at the the makeup of California and, the, and uh, predominantly the San Joaquin Valley, there is so many high-valued crops that um, have experienced um, really unbelievable profitability and um, of course you have to um, have land that has decent water and and good soil but um, some of the the crops that seem to be most sought after are almonds pistachios citrus cherries um, they've really performed extremely well and so we we see a big demand for that um, and then there's there's other opportunities in in different commodities that um, um, a lot of both investors and and farmers are um, are involved with so and I would say a huge part of the success out there is due to the infrastructure, wouldn't you? It, it is definitely in, um, uh, the infrastructure that, that makes it all work. Um, there is such an extensive um, water system in California um, that um, feeds these farms, and there's over 300 irrigation districts in, in California, and um, it, it's amazing to see, really. Um, there's the Sierra Nevada mountains that uh, receive snow every year. Of course, we've been in a drought, but um, there's snow that feeds the, the reservoirs and, and the, the dams. Uh, canal systems, um, it, it's, uh, it's really quite an amazing um, attribute for California agriculture. <clears throat> we also have um, uh, ports for, for shipping, a great highway system, and so it, it certainly um, is conducive to um, um, helping California agriculture be uh, profitable. How is Sigma impacting all of this? Yeah, so Sigma is the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, and it was enacted back in uh, 2014. And it was designed to uh, sustain the underground aquifer levels um, so that there wasn't um, a condition uh, called subsidence. And subsidence is when you overdraft the underground aquifer, it um, 
literally sinks and it threatens the infrastructure that we just talked about. So yeah. if you have an aqueduct that spans the, you know, the length of the valley, um, you can't have a situation where um, the aqueduct is um, cracking or uh, doesn't move the water um, properly. And so the ordinance provides that the, um, the different um, areas will establish groundwater sustainability agencies. And these agencies will develop plans that will be approved by the state of California to um, bring um, uh, these underground aquifers into sustainability. And the timeline is, it's a 40-year timeline, so, um, uh, or 20-year timeline up to 2040. So that's the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act. It's, it's somewhat of a, um, a blessing and a curse in that you know, obviously, we need to do something to maintain our 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 underground water levels. Though, what it will result in is potentially a million acres being fallowed here in the valley, um, and that that fallowing will um, obviously be a, a detriment to, to many farmers out there. Um, but what it will likely do is reduce supply and which should increase the price of the commodities or it should help in that, at least on paper. So um, those acres that are being farmed um, hopefully will be much more profitable. Where is the act in its current status? Is it uh, you think it's going to pass, or is it already passed and it's just it, implementation? It, it has passed, Lou, okay. and uh, the state is in the process of reviewing and commenting on gotcha. the plans developed by the groundwater sustainability agencies. So we will um, have more information moving forward. Um, it seems like it's at um, a slower pace, um, but there's just so much involved. It's sure it's fairly complicated. Yeah, I'd say. And it sounds like you know quite a bit about it, which leads me to think that you're a huge asset for farmers in that area. How are you able to help your clientele? I mean, do you help them with goals, or are there certain things that you try to do to help your clientele with ag land yeah so there's there's a lot of um a lot of growers that <clears throat> are looking to position themselves um, um in the best way they can to secure their water supplies and so we're working closely with um you know many growers to accomplish that um, and, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, um, you know, as you look at some of the land that is more water challenged, uh, maybe it's the, the pricing is, is lower because of the water challenges. Um, there's also a market for that. And what we're seeing is, um, some growers are buying that land in a certain sub-basin to mitigate um, pumping for some of the more high-valued or profitable crops. Um, we're also seeing um, some um, buyers that look at it as an opportunity to, to buy some crops at a a lower value and and farm it as long as they can or farm as much as they can for as long as they can right so it's uh 
it depends on your strategy and, and how you want to um, look at it, but uh, there's, there's plenty of activity in, in both areas of, um, of the spectrum from properties with good water to properties with, with the lesser quality water uh, conditions. So the water sounds like it just keeps coming up and keeps coming up. So that must, that's the number one thing, I would say. That is the number one thing, Teresa. Is there a number two? <laughs> <laughs> what is number two? There's got to be a number two. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, number two is, um, is you know, what, what you're growing, uh, right. which crops are. Uh, where it's located um, is also in there, and um, and obviously, as, as you know, uh, growing so many different types of of crops. Um, I mean, it, it it's I'm not going to say it's unlimited, but but there's there's a lot of options. Is there good quality, good experienced labor sources? Is that increased or decreased, say, in the last three to five years? Yeah, so um, we have our southern neighbors that um, have historically provided us with a, a great labor supply. Um, they've, they're great workers and um, you know, they come in and, and work in the fields and harvest crops, and, and uh, it's, it's a benefit for them and a uh, benefit for agriculture sure. as well. Yeah. We have that, Teresa, you know, obviously in our area, especially the tobacco farmers. And, uh, you know, they, um, they have the migrants that come in. And I know one of my best friends, they manage over 500 acres of, of tobacco, which is huge here. And they've had the same family or group for 20-some years now. They, they show up every year, and they know the routes, and uh, they work hard. And is, is labor cost gone up at all, or is yes, it going up? it has. That's, that's, um, everything's going up, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, everything's gone up, Lou. It, it's, um, you know, for labor-intensive crops that are um, – that are out there, it's it's a it's a big concern. That's a part of the reason why the nut crops like almonds, pistachios, walnuts, um, wine grapes, um, citrus, to a, a certain degree, are low labor commodities, and so there's a more of an attraction, especially for. An, the investment community, right? Um, to look at those as uh, their their primary uh, focus in in their portfolios. Financing. Where's that right now? Where's that going? Yeah. So there's there's a lot of good ag lenders um, here in the valley. They have um, um, been great to work with. Um, they cater well to the farmers, and uh, they've been very willing to uh, to loan uh, throughout the valley. And uh, it's a little more challenging if, if the water is, um, uh, if you have difficult water conditions, but um, there's there's still a lot of loans being made um, across the board. Farm Credit's our go-to here in this market area. In fact, great sponsor for all of our chapter. I've been the president of our RLI chapter. been on the board since 98, believe it or not, president twice, but uh, it's North South Carolina. Uh, but uh, they, they're our main lender. A uh, great organization, and I'm sure you're familiar with them. Uh, but at, years ago, uh, and I've done millions and millions of dollars with them over the years personally and, of course, uh, uh, referring clients, buyers to them. Uh, but they used to do 15% down, 
And then the last downturn, uh, they got a little more conservative and went to 20. And, and right now, and that's not everyone, but most of them in our market area, now is 25% down. So a buyer looking to invest $100,000, you know, they got to put $25,000 down, uh, you know, just to, just to get a loan plus their closing costs. What, 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 what percentage are they looking for for ag farm out there? Yeah, so most of the lenders look for 50 to 70 percent. Um, really? Depending upon who the borrower is and, and you know, what he's buying. You're uh, saying 50 to 70 percent down? 50 to 70 percent uh, loan to value. Oh, loan to value, okay. Yeah, so, you know, 30 to 50 percent right. down is, is typically what we see here in California. And, you know, the... The farm credit system is great here. Um, we have some really good um, associations that are making a lot of loans. Um, we have, you know, commercial banks and insurance companies, and and there's even some hard money lenders that right. uh, are actively loaning money um, for agriculture. What kind of percentage are you seeing now? And of course, the bank just met today and they yeah, so went up 50 basis. It's pretty universal. Um, it, it's 50 to 70 percent is, is what they typically look at. If, if, you, if you took more or less the, uh, the majority of the loans are going to be probably between 60 to 70 percent. Right. Um, but in, in a lot of cases where the water is somewhat marginal, they're, they're looking at 50 percent. Wow. So that probably plays and for the first time, farmers trying to get into it, right? Yeah, so the first time farmers, I think Farm Credit has a, a program that uh, provides for a low down, lower down payment, like 15% down. And if you're a first time farmer or a young farmer, uh, you can get involved with that uh, program. And so hats off to those guys. Yeah, uh, really. For for that because agriculture is heavily capitalized industry and it's very difficult for young people to get into it. So I know you're in the ag business. Uh, are you still seeing clients that's looking because recreational land pretty much nationwide has been hot for the last couple. In fact, Rex actually have a uh, one of our RLI classes that uh, on the subject of recreational land. Is that you get a percentage of that in your market? Yes, we do. Um, and we have the Sierra Nevada mountains on, on one side of the valley, and we have the intercoastal mountains on the other side. And we get a lot of folks that, that are looking to, um, you know, buy these cattle ranches and, and uh, own a, um, a big block of land to, you know, call their own and, and create their own empire and, and hunt and fish and, and uh, you know, ride horses and sure. ATVs and all those things. What would that ground be selling for, say, in a 100-acre block? Yeah, so a 100-acre block is, um, you know, you're, you're probably looking at, at something like, um, you know, for 100 acres, you might be, Three to four thousand an acre. Okay. Um, for a larger block, um, three hundred to thousands of acres, you're probably going to be in the thousand to two thousand per acre range. Hey, there's hope for you, about Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking. So, I mean, we've been talking about expensive property because of what uh, the yields are, but uh, do you have much timber area at all? Not a lot of timber um, that we've been involved with. I think there's, in California, there's just a lot of regulations that uh, make uh, that industry difficult. And right. It's it's kind of a closed um, community, um, hard to break into, at least in California. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, obviously where we are, and especially in the south and the in the northeast, uh, you know, these are big timber areas and have been for centuries. So uh, it's uh, each area has its own 
its own uh, nuance, its own, uh, you know, I mean. Uh, yes, I agree. I never realized that California provided so much of our cropland. That that blows my mind. I, I always just pictured California as the beach and just having fun. Because you're a beach <laughs> bum. <laughs> I do love the beach. Yeah, it, it's interesting that we, we're one of the, the largest suppliers in the country, and uh, we only have 4% of the farms here in California. Well, that's productive land. You know, in the Midwest, you have uh, soil types, you know, class one and so on. I guess you have similar ratings there? Yes, we do. Yeah. And yours is what, mostly sand loam type soils, or you don't have the clay clay content? We do. Um, as you get along the foothills, right. the, the soil gets um, heavier, and uh, there's more clay along the along the base of the mountain range. Right. Uh, you get in the alluvial fans, and you'll get the um, the sandy loam soils that um, are, you know, more predominant through the valley. We've got about four or five minutes left. Um, I just want to change it a little bit. What makes you get up in the morning? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I I totally love what I do. Sure. Um, uh, aside from the, the fact that um, my wife told me that I'm never able to retire. Um, well, you don't if you're a land person. Yeah, there's, there's no I such thing. have no desire to do that. Me either. Um, I think COVID cured me of <laughs> any desire to 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 get out of the land business. I, I I love it so much. The people I work with are great. Yeah. Um, and what more what more can you ask for? Um, I I I just I've got so many opportunities out there to work with good people and. I just enjoy it. You have a family? I do. Um, I have um, my wife and I have a son. Okay. And he is um, 25 years old. He wow. got his uh, real estate license. <laughs> there you go. He is actually selling residential, and he okay. likes that. Sure, of and course. So I'm, I'm there to help him out. Um, but he's doing great on his own yeah. uh, so far. So it's, that's, a, it's that's gratifying for for a dad. Absolutely. It's a great vocation. My dad was in real estate. Unfortunately, he died when I was 18, and I didn't ever want to do what he did, so I did a lot of stuff before getting into the real estate business, but I I wish I'd followed him years ago and uh, and had all these years in it. And my daughter... And son-in-law have their license, so we're we're third generation here going. Oh, that's great, Teresa. What else you got? Well, I was just sitting here wondering. We've covered a lot. Yeah. Is there anything, Dan, that you think that that we've missed? Anything that maybe we need to shed just a little more light on? We've talked about wow. a lot. Of uh, you're you're putting him on the spot, Teresa. I know. That's what I do. <laughs> We've talked about how the industry is changing. We've discussed the. Are you seeing a lot of farmers getting out of it, or just generations changing, or, or just they're totally surrendering the farms, just selling, giving out. I've had enough. Yeah. Had enough. So there's there's family operations that um, are multi generational farming companies, and they're just going to continue on that path and then there's those families that um, you know the the kids are doing different things they aren't really interested in farming and so they're selling out and and um, there's so much capital out there so many people that are interested in in buying and farming in California so there's always <coughs> lid for every pot you got it or so when, you, when you drive down the road what do you see 
I mean, are you seeing like what, are you what seeing? What you see when you drive down the center of the valley is mainly trees and vines. <clears throat> you see raisin grapes, table grapes, wine grapes, almonds, pistachios, walnuts, um, citrus. Wow. Uh, you, you see a lot of field crops, too. Um, there's, there's cotton, there's um, grain crops, um, there's vegetable crops. It's just an amazing thing to see. But it's beautiful. If, if it sounds been beautiful. To California, I highly recommend you do that. It, it's, uh, it's a treat. Well, it's changed the way that I would consider. I mean, I just never thought about it being that much cropland so it that's i, I can kind of just visualize it in my mind we can move you out west for a couple months and let you get trained out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the other um industries that we see out here is the dairy industry and uh the beef industry as well so oh. there's 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 a lot of um Produced a lot of dairy products and and uh, a lot of beef in this state. No hogs or chickens or turkeys. There's there's a lot of poultry. Okay. Um, I would say not as much in the in the hogs and and uh, no. There's there's certainly some some sheep, but mainly dairy cows and, and beef cattle. Well, it's been a great show today. You've been a wonderful guest. How did people get in touch with you, Dan? So, Lou, they can reach me at 559-432-6200, or they can um, email me at dkevorkian at pearsonrealty.com, and that's d. K-E-V, as in Victor, O-R-K-I-A-N, at P-E-A-R-S-O-N, Realty, R-E-A-L-T-Y, dot com. Terrific. And your website is www.pearson, P-E-A-R-S-O-N, Realty, dot com. Correct. Hey, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to suggest, we would appreciate them. All of our guests are welcome, and all of our guests may be emailed with your questions as well. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for real estate agents who do not have a source for land education. All of our shows are downloaded after the show this morning on our master website, www.letstalkland.net. That's .net. You'll also find us on Spotify and Podbean. Teresa, how do they get in touch with you? They can call me at 336-209-2937 or email me at teresa.mylandpro at gmail.com. And my email is lou, L-O-U, at mylandpro.com. My cell phone number is 336-669-1405. Hey, we'd like to thank our sponsor, landhub.com. Are you looking to buy or sell land? LandHub previews thousands of properties nationwide. Check them out. Rodney, how do they get in touch with us here? Well, Lou, they can go to our website. Go to WKTE1090.com. And also, they can download the Simple Radio app and hear us anywhere. Simple? Simple. How, how simple is it, Teresa? So simple, I can use it. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> All you have to do is go to that Simple Radio app, download it, Type in WKTE and have it as your favorite radio, Beach and Oldies radio station. Why would we want to do that? Teresa? So we can listen to happy music. That's right. See? Happy music. Get everybody in the good mood. All right. And it is happy music for yes. sure. Hey, we won some nice awards. Yeah, seven years in a row of being the best Beach and Oldies radio station on the East Coast. So we don't go to California. Well, we do on the Simple Radio app. Actually, we go out to Mars and all the way out yeah, there. Yeah, how about that? Cool. Are you going next time they go? 
Uh, probably. Hey, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they have a seat available. <laughs> Does the radio station get tickets for that? Uh, not now, but they might in the future. You never know. And you won a nice award not long yeah, ago. Yeah, the uh, Reader's Choice Announcer of the Year Award. Wow, I wonder why. Mm, don't have a clue, really. Well, we uh, enjoyed our show with our guests today, and we'll see you next week. Okay.